Let's again join together in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you want to meet with us and you want to speak to us. Help us to have hearts that are receptive, ears that are attentive, lives that are obedient, steps that follow your path. Speak through your word, we pray. Make us more like Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. In the week that has just passed, we had the opportunity to see a once in 800 years event. That was the planetary alignment. The last time the two largest planets in our solar system have come as close as they did this week was back in 1628, sorry, 1626, but that couldn't be seen from the Earth. So the last time anybody on this planet was able to see this close proximity of Jupiter and Saturn was back in the year 1226. It's what the astronomers call the Great Conjunction. And the next time the Great Conjunction will occur is 2018. Sorry, 2080. So some of you won't probably get to see that one. But this stunning, spectacular, stellar view took place. It came and it went. The Christmas star, it has been popularly called, but we couldn't see it because there were too many clouds on Monday night past once in a lifetime, once in 880 years, and you missed it. And this morning I want to think with you, and it's traditional on the Sunday after Christmas, to think about the message of the visit of the Magi, the wise men who came from the East following a Christmas star. And I love the way they explain their purpose for this arduous and lengthy journey in which they engaged. Verse 2 of Matthew 2, they speak and say, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They've come to worship him. They were wise worshipers. There's no doubt. There's no question. There's, there's no seeking out the qualifications of this child who has been born. They don't come to verify the truth of the revelation that they have seen in the night sky. They, they are there with one purpose, not out of curiosity, not to get the best picture for their Instagram accounts. No, the king had been born, and they had come to worship him. They were wise worshipers. When God reveals himself to the people of this world, the only fitting response is, worship. The Shorter Catechism, question one, has this answer that you all know very well. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We only find lasting joy. We only discover the true purpose in our lives, the reason for our existence when we worship Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we give glory to our God, 
The Apostle Paul writing in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 of Jesus states this, saying, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Everything, everyone has one single purpose, and that is to give glory to Jesus Christ, to worship him. That's why everything that you will ever see around you exists. The, the book of Psalms concludes in Psalm 150 with this verse. The psalmist writes, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We were made, we exist to worship. I've just finished reading through the Bible in, in a year. And something I would encourage you all to try and undertake as we, we enter into uh, 2021, there's lots of schemes, lots of different ways to do it, uh, lots of free schemes you can download uh, from the internet or whatever. I've been doing this for as long as I can remember, and it's been very enriching. And indeed, for me, I, I think every year I do it, it gets better and better and better. And if you want to do this and you, you can't access a scheme, let me know and I'll, I'll get you a little pattern to follow. And it's a little bit ironic that the scheme that I followed this year really starts to draw to a conclusion with the book of Job. Because the book of Job is likely to have been one of the earliest books that we have among the 66 books of the Bible, earliest to be written. And God willing, hopefully in the new year, in midweek, we'll spend some time looking into the book of Job. But if you know a little bit about that book, you see that Job is reflecting on his terrible ordeal. And, and he longs to meet with God. He longs to speak to God. He longs to come into God's presence that he would receive justice from God. So much of the book is on that theme. But it ends in just a few chapters with God speaking to Job, with this thoroughly righteous man who, in obedience and deferential worship, he cries out to God for mercy. Job wanted justice. He wanted to meet God, but when he does, he puts his hand over his mouth. He falls before him and asks God to be merciful. When we encounter God, it always leads to worship. And the Magi know that they have journeyed hundreds of miles for this encounter. They have come to worship. They have hearts and hands that are full. They are wise worshipers. And the second thing I want to note is the issue of royal rebellion. Royal rebellion. Now, they're called wise men, but I'm not so sure about their political sensitivities. Was it really that wise to arrive at the palace and inquire of the one who sits on the throne? Where is the one born to rule? That was probably not a very good idea. Little wonder that Matthew's account tells us that as a consequence, there is a significant stir caused across the city of Jerusalem. And this 
message, this inquiry moves Herod to summons the religious leaders. He desires to learn more. He wants to know about the one the Magi have come to worship. Matthew 2 verse 4, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, it's difficult for us to, to think our way into this. We, we live 2,000 years after these events, but in that time, in that uh, change of millennia uh, in Jerusalem, there was huge expectation that the, the Savior, that the King, the Messiah was on his way. And Herod knew the longing that was in the hearts of those who were supposed to be his citizens. They were really longing that a true son of David would reign on the throne. And they really wanted him not to be there. And Herod had schemed and plotted. He had feared and foiled any and every attempt to dethrone him with cruel and murderous efficiency, putting even his own sons to death. A little baby, newly born, would be no match for his ruthlessness. But first he would have to locate the child. He summons those who are in the know. The religious leaders, are, they have already answered that they, they knew all of this. At one point in my life, I sort of pictured them. I don't know where I got that image from. Of they going away into the scrolls, trying to dig out this information. But, but no, that was on the tip of their tongue. They would have known it immediately. Uh, they quote Matthew or Micah 5, verse 2, here in Matthew 2, verse 6. And they say, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The king who was to come, the promised Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And, and just in, in passing, we know that, that God had turned the world upside down to make that happen. He had uh, moved the, the heart of Augustus, the Caesar in Rome, to, to so shuffle the pack so that at this very moment, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. God's word always comes true, and, and kings and emperors cannot stand against it. So verses 7 and 8, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Do you know what he said? Obviously, the Magi had made it very clear what their intention was. They were worshippers, and they had told everyone their, their reason for coming, their reason for their journey. And so Herod pretends he shares their passion. He claims that he too will worship. But of course, we know that he's attempting to deceive. And, and while it might be a bit of a leap to, to state this, it seems that Herod's outward expression of worship, but inner intention and intent to kill, is not so very different from what goes on in the hearts and lives of so many people in our world. 
As we have to understand and we have to apply this teaching, recognizing that, that Herod is not some kind of pantomime villain that, that we can, can point a finger at and say, he's a bad man. I'm glad I'm not bad like him. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth, while everyone else lives in a state of royal rebellion. Jesus, one time speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 15, verses 7 to 9, said this. He said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. People who were outwardly looking like worshippers, but inwardly had no desire whatsoever to give God his place. And the problem is that the, the, with our fallen human nature, we, we each have this desire that, that all the planets would revolve around us, that we would be at the very center. But God's Word tells us that if you do not submit to Christ's rule, if you do not give him the rightful place on the throne of your hearts, it's not then that you are ambivalent towards him or, or dismissive of him. No, you are actively in rebellion against him. In Luke chapter 19 and verses 11 to 27, Jesus tells a lengthy story. We know it as the parable of the talents. And I suppose when you study that passage, that's primarily what you consider these three men who are, are giving varying degrees of responsibility. But there is, throughout that story, a subplot, a storyline about a king and his rule. And this rule is resisted. So we read Luke 19, verse 14. But his, the king's citizens, hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And that parable, as it unfolds, then concludes with this dreadful verse. Uh, Luke 19, verse 27, where the king says, But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is the world. This is the kingdom of which we were a part. People in royal rebellion, defiant to the rightful rule of Jesus Christ to reign in hearts as king. Elsewhere in the parables, you know the story of the tenants uh, who, who put the landowner's son to death. They were thinking that they could have authority to rule. Matthew 21, this is where we find it. Matthew 21, 37, 38. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. These people foolishly thought there was a way that they would not have to bring tribute to the owner. They thought they could free themselves of these obligations. 
but it was a pathway that led to their deaths. And such is the state of every heart before it is conquered by Christ. The atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel writes, I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not rare. See, Nagel calls himself a, a, an atheist, but his problem is not that he doesn't believe in God, but that he doesn't want there to be a God to believe in. Because if there is a God who is Lord of all things, well then, he no longer can call the shots. He can no longer determine how to live his life. He will have to cede the throne of his heart to another. Paul tells us this disturbing truth. We, we know it, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. He says, either we were or we still are enemies of God. Everyone starts as an enemy of God. Everyone starts resisting his rule. So we note the rebellious attitude of so many exemplified in Herod. And then let's note how it ought to be done as we consider in conclusion the worthy worship of the Magi, the Magi's worthy worship. So we know the story. The journey is resumed. They make their way to Bethlehem, verses 9 to 11. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, it's, it's so difficult for us to see this with fresh eyes. We, we know the story overly well. But we have to understand that these are rich and powerful men probably at the very heart of the government structure of their nation as Daniel was in the book of Daniel. But now they come and they fall on the ground before a baby. And they bring to him and they give to him the very best that they have. And they feel honored that they are allowed to do this. They worship as they ought. Worship ought never to be and can never be cajoled. I really love the late Jackson Buick. Maybe some of you know what he called himself, Isle Buick. Uh, and Jackson ordained me, and he was a bit of a hero of mine. But I can remember him leading worship, and he would have just clapped his hands, and he stopped the hymn in the middle and said, that's not good enough. You can sing better than that. And, and so people did, and they would. It did increase their volume. But did it change their heart? Worthy worshippers worship in spirit and in truth. And on this Sunday morning, and this is a Sunday morning we 
always naturally anticipate that the attendance at church will be one of the lowest Sundays in the year because of its post-Christmas position. Let me ask you, is that true of you and of me? Are we worthy worshippers? Have we come truly to worship God as we should? Let me share with you a little poem about what ought to be our attitude of heart. Praise God for Christmas. Praise him for the incarnation, for word made flesh. I will not sing of shepherds watching flocks on frosty night or angel choristers. I will not sing of stable bear in Bethlehem or lowing oxen, wise men trailing distant star with gold and frankincense and demur. Tonight I will sing praise to the Father who stood on heaven's threshold and said farewell to his son as he stepped across the stars to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And I will sing praise to the infinite eternal Son who became most finite a baby, who would one day be executed for my cry. Praise him in the heavens. Praise him in the stable. Praise him in my heart. Jesus was born to be king. He was born to be worshipped, and he will be. Yes, few bowed before him at his birth. Many rejected him during his life. Crowds mocked him at his death. But someday, one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we missed the Christmas star on Monday night. Our view obscured. But might we once again this year miss the true star of Christmas, the savior of our world? Our view of him obscured by nostalgia, over-familiarity, busyness, pressing commitments, or just self-indulgent celebrations. May it be that we have made the full and fitting response the only appropriate response to worship him. And as we'll sing in just a few moments, that invocation is given, oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come and we are thankful that there is a reason to worship, that you did not leave us to suffer in our sins, you did not leave us destitute, but came to us to claim us and to make us yours at such a cost. The love of God displayed in Christ, the babe of Bethlehem, the Savior of Calvary, the Lord of heaven, the one we worship. Father, may it be true that we love him and live for him. May we have our gaze filled by him that nothing else can be set alongside him. Nothing else is worth our efforts and energies. Lord, may we be wise worshipers, giving in the appropriate way of all we have and are to his glory. Father, we do pray in this season for those uh, we love and care for, those ill of our fellowship. 
be with them, watch over them, and help them. Look after Betty, Jack, and William in hospital, restore them, and help them to make a full recovery. Bless their families, those who are anxious for them, and give them a sense of your peace. Lord, be with those who are still experiencing ongoing treatment or who are waiting for appointments and consultations. We pray, Lord, for care to come to them. Be with those who are anxious for their job security, what next year will bring with all its changes. Care for those who continue to work on the front line in the fight against COVID, and we pray again for the vaccine that it would have that significant effect to reduce uh, the instances and the loss of life. Father, we pray for Steve and Rosie Kennedy as they head to Cluj in Romania tomorrow and as missionaries with the PCI help and bless them to settle quickly and to serve you well in the Hungarian Reformed Church there. Bless our own congregation, Lord, as we look to a new year, a year when much will change. Physically in our buildings, we hope and pray, hopefully in returning to all the activities and worship that we have enjoyed and helping to see us serve you effectively, to listen to your leading, to obey your commands, and to see Portadown impacted for Jesus in 2021. So, Lord, bless and care for our family, our friends. Be with them. And may they know this Savior, this Jesus, the one to be worshipped, the one who loves us, the one who saves. Amen.